What's up, everybody, and welcome to Show Me the Meaning, Wisecrack's movie podcast. Show me the meaning! Yeah! Ooh, I'll buy that for a dollar. <laughs> and today... <laughs> Today we're uh, we're talking about RoboCop, the 1987 film directed by Paul Verhoeven, starring Peter Weller. As always, we're going to go around and get people's first impressions. What was it like the first time you watched it? And what was it like revisiting this movie for the podcast? Let's start with Ryan, my good friend. What do you think? What are your thoughts on RoboCop? Dude, I love fucking RoboCop, man. Of course, Paul, you Ver- do. Yeah. Paul Verhoeven <laughs> is top five filmmakers for me. Um, and wow. This is one of his best, you know, and um, it was amazing watching it this time and kind of seeing his similarities or his through lines through other movies. Like there's so many things that Starship Troopers in this movie have mm, in common totally. with the cutaways to the kind of satirical news uh, segments and whatnot. And then just the uh, whatever you want to call it, futuristic uh you know, military technology in the film. Um, oh, and the uh, co-ed shower scene is in both. That, you know, there's not in very many. Uh, only Paul Verhoeven would have a co-ed shower he- scene in more than one film. Uh, I love the shit out of this movie. It's, it encompasses so many cool or just very relevant things for a movie that was made in, what, 1984 or so? Or, no, shit. 87. And, but yeah, but it does it in a way that could have been so cheesy and it maybe it is a little cheesy but uh uh like his movies but he, uh, they're kind of over the top in a way but they're over the top in a way that i love because they actually have heart and they have characters and real things that they're talking about while also smiling and being liked in a way so so you know this is about super deep hardcore intense themes that could be also very heavy like the the remake of robocop is way heavier and unsuccessful in my opinion it just kind of takes the you know, all of the intense themes that, th- that this movie's about, police brutality, police unions, police strikes, AI, you know, uh, a religion, and it kind of makes a more serious version of it, which, you know, I'm not saying that that's, you know, the, uh, uh, there could be a movie that requires that, but what I love about this movie is the, is the, the, his take on it, the, the lightness of it, of the style and the aesthetic, while also having a really deep message that I think is important too. Um, and also saying a lot about the future and kind of, you know, and here we are, what, 20, 30 years later. And I don't know. I feel like we'll talk about it, but it's a pretty relevant movie. Yeah. Amazing. Uh, Austin, what about you? I know you were super psyched to do this movie. Yeah. I mean, it was so I haven't seen this since I was a kid. Right. And as wow. a kid, I watched it a lot. And for some reason, the scene that I, is like ingrained into my brain is the one where at the end when the one bad dude gets like deformed in the the toxic waste oh, or whatever oh, it becomes the like, toxic avenger for a second you know <laughs> yeah, like yeah. for some reason that like scarred me as a child cuz he's so de- <laughs> and like when i when someone mentions robocop obviously i think of murphy but then i also think of that dude like and, and i don't know why just it, melting off yeah and it, there's such yeah. great like body horror in this film too right like such mm-hmm. interesting stuff but um as a kid, I obviously didn't realize that this was a satire. I just thought that like it was a badass totally. machine man. Which like why do why do little boys in particular like why do we love fucking like cyborgs and machines and robots? Like as a kid, I was like, that's they're so cool. He's like part human and part machine. Like ah, that's amazing. So <laughs> I fucking loved it. So I didn't realize. I mean, I knew obviously from commentaries and stuff that it was a satire. Um, but having watched it now through the lens of it being a satire, um, I, I have an even deeper appreciation for the film. I think it's everything that Ryan said I concur with. Um, I think the way that it's shot, we just don't make movies like this anymore, too. You know, there's something about the 80s yeah. with practical effects, big explosions, the clear goodies and the baddies. I mean, actually, though, this film, because is, is Murphy a goodie? Is the, like, kind of, like, what is the good, what is the goodness in the film that we can, like, talk about, you know, that's kind of interesting. Yeah. But um, there's, there's like, the clear, like, stereotypical bad guys that are just bad, right? They're just bad through and through. And I really like that. Um, and the way that it's shot, uh, I, I think it's, I think it's a fantastic film. I, I really love it, yeah. Yeah, it's so good. I actually saw this movie for the first time probably within the last 10 years. I I did see I, I remember I saw when I was a little kid I had this misguided thought that oh, well if RoboCop 3 is out, they only keep getting better. So I'm just going to watch the third one. Like why do I need to watch the first and second ones? So I saw RoboCop 3 like four or five times when I was a kid. And I'm talking about, you know, maybe like less than 10 years old. And I so 
I revisited RoboCop for the first time and I kind of got the satirical elements to it. But the thing that I always focused on and I guess it always initially strikes me in Paul Verhoeven films is the hyperviolence. Yes. And I remember the the first time that the uh, – I can't remember exactly what the machine is called, like the Ed something. The, 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 the ED? The or something? Yeah, yeah. Isn't there something great is... too? the ED? I mean I, I don't know if this was intentional, but that's also how we describe <laughs> erectile dysfunction. So like, oh. is this like over like man overcompensating for his uh, his Ooh, impotency like or something? And, and everyone's know. favorite car is the six thousand sucks. <laughs> yeah, the six thousand sucks. Yeah, there's definitely something going on there. Um, <laughs> But this time, just like what Ryan mentioned, I definitely glommed on more to the interstitials with the guy who says, I'll buy that for a dollar mm. and uh, the 6,000 SUX. And then the news uh, the news pieces where they say like 10,000 acres of land were evaporated because of space military weapon malfunction. <laughs> um, <laughs> 113 people dead, including two ex-presidents. Yeah, right. Yeah, just the world that they build is so grim but it's not really painted as a grim world and it's he does the same thing as starship troopers and i've never really appreciated paul verhoven for these things that i've been learning about him since doing podcasts on starship troopers and now this film i i just thought of him as a straight-up action director like a john uh, mctiernian uh like Die yeah Hard something like that predator kind of guy so I'm kind of having a new love affair with Paul Verhoeven. I have a buddy who just recently went through and watched all of his um, non-English speaking films, yeah, like I, Turkish I Delight. Yeah, I've got to see his Dutch movies. I haven't seen one of them. I, I, yeah, I, I hear he, like they're supposed to be really interesting. So yeah, that's what I hear too. Is Black Book one of those or no? That that's in English? Well, 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 that's way later. It, it it is one of his Dutch movies. I guess I have seen that one. Um, but that was way later. He, uh, uh, I think what your friend's probably talking about is his movies before Holly, coming to Hollywood. He made yeah, like yeah, at least Tur- three Turkish, or four. Turkish Delight um, and stuff like that. Yeah. Okay, cool. So yeah, RoboCop, so awesome. So glad that uh, I think it was Ryan's idea to cover this movie mm-hmm. right now. Yeah. So without further ado, let's go into a recap. So a private company called OCP is brought in to run a struggling old Detroit police department, which has suffered many casualties at the hand of crime boss Clarence Boddicker. In order to clean the streets before they can start their plan to modernize the city, OCP decides to invest in the RoboCop program. When recently transferred cop Murphy is brutally murdered by Clarence and his gang, he's reborn as the cyborg supercop known as RoboCop. RoboCop has crooks on the run in in old Detroit, but when he has a dream about his past, it leads him down a path of recognizing his past as Murphy and going rogue. RoboCop descends on Clarence's operation, and Clarence tells him that he works for Dick Jones, the number two at OCP. RoboCop tries to confront Jones, but his fourth program directive won't allow him to arrest senior officers of OCP. After a devastating battle, RoboCop is saved by his one-time partner, Lewis, and Dick Jones promises Clarence all the drugs and gambling territory in his new vision of the city, but first, he has to kill RoboCop. With Lewis's help, RoboCop repairs himself and, having reconciled with his humanity, takes out Clarence and reveals Dick Jones' treachery to the rest of the OCP board. When Dick gets fired, RoboCop's fourth directive becomes obsolete, and RoboCop kills him. When a board member asks, what's your name, son? RoboCop replies, Murphy. End of movie. Such a touching moment. It is a touching moment. Hey, it's Kaylee Cuoco for Priceline. Ready to go to your happy place for a happy price? Well, why didn't you say so? Just download the Priceline app right now and save up to 60% on hotels. So whether it's Cousin Kevin's Kazoo concert in Kansas City, go Kevin! Or Becky's Bachelorette Bash in Bermuda. You never have to miss a trip ever again. So download the Priceline app today. Your savings are waiting. Go to your happy place for a happy price. Go to your happy price. Priceline. Uh, I want to start off with what Austin asked about, about what is the good in this movie? I think that's kind of the, the, the meatiest question we have here. So what do you guys think? What, what, do, what do you mean by that question? What is the good in this movie? So RoboCop is obviously the protagonist. I mean, we follow him, especially when the second act starts. We start seeing that he's struggling with recognizing his humanity. He's struggling with uh, reconciling his past and identifying as a human. And then so... We're rooting for him, but at the same time, RoboCop, especially with his fourth directive, I think represents something corrupt about policing in that they're often working at the hands of 
corporate interests and stuff like that. So th- when I say what's the good in this movie, is there even any good in this movie? Or is it just a, like a stark dystopia that's kind of painted over with kind of fun action sequences and a kind of levity that Starship Troopers also has? Yeah, I wonder if if we could say that the good is the human, right? And that all of the stuff that's pitched as being bad is all stuff that humans have created. It's all like the technologies and the tools of humanity that have gotten out of hand, right? Corporations have gotten out of hand. Um, The city has gotten out of hand. Um, Crime is the response because you have corporations that have been trying to degrade the city so that they can rebuild the city, but then crime has gotten out of hand. Um, and then, of course, corporations try to build military technology. That's gotten out of hand. It kills you know, innocent people. And then even with ED, it kills the human. And then even um, with RoboCop, it's kind of like before the humanity starts to spark in his imagination from that dream, right? He's just like this pure mechanical um, uh, direction-taking machine kind of, right? And uh, again, it's like the the tools of humanity all of a sudden um, become outside of human control. So what's the good is it's almost like it's when Murphy starts to have that dream. Then he can go on his personal personal mission of revenge, right? But that's when he has some semblance of freedom. There's some semblance of connection. And then, of course, I think I think Lewis is maybe the good in this because she cares for Murphy while everyone else just sees him as a beast, as as a Frankenstein monster. She sees the humanity in him. She's like, no, wait a second, this is Murphy. That's why it's so important. She's like, what's your name? And she's like, your name's Murphy, right? Like, because he still has that that gun twirling thing that signifies him as the father, as the husband. And and it's those things, the the kind of like simple elements of humanity that I think are supposed to be the good in the midst of this societal structure that humans built that kind of take on their own form, that that's the bad, you know? Yeah, I think the film is really smart in how it hints at the importance of the human part. So I think I like that the thing that kills the ED robot, or it doesn't kill it, but when it's facing off against RoboCop, what disarms it is its inability to descend stairs. Because it's the man part that RoboCop, you know, gives him the advantage. Or I guess more of the cop part. And then he keeps his dome off in the final battle, you know, showing off his human face and kind of relishing in that. Sorry, Ryan, what were you going to say? Yeah, I, I, I was just going to go off what Austin was saying. And, and to me, there's it, it's very much two kind of stories going on. You got the whole what is it? Uh, uh, what is a human being in the face of AI and, and you know, uh, what do you call it? Transhumanism and whatnot. And then you have the whole uh, police uh, theme and stuff. And the, the police theme is very – I don't think there's an answer at the end of the police theme. I think it's just satirical. Like l- l- here's a future – where, if, you know, that we can end up at if we let private policing and all this other kind of stuff go uh, get too out of hand. And I don't think that they get really get Paul Verhoeven gives us an answer. It's just like, look at this mess. Do you want to live in that? And then but then <laughs> but but then it's uh, the other part. He does kind of it, it, he's very adamant about this is a Jesus story, how, you know, uh, 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 Peter Weller or, or Murphy was was killed he was crucified uh by human beings you know and then he comes he's resurrected as robocop and he's say he's this humanity savior or whatever and that's a very different story uh uh that that i think that at the end it's yeah uh uh it 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 all kind of culminates in him saying hey what's your name boy and it's like oh my name is murphy like like i found i remember who i am you know uh uh but yeah, I. Uh, what do you guys think about just the two? Do you guys think there's an answer to the police uh, problem in this movie? Well, sometimes you need like an outside perspective to really get a good satire on uh, like a domestic problem, right? So he's European, and I've spent a lot of time. Obviously, I lived in Europe for a very long time. I live in Australia now. I spent a lot of time with Europeans, and one of the things they constantly ask me is, like, what's up with Americans and guns, bro? Like, what's up with your military? That's, like, the first <laughs> thing they ask, and it's always a very difficult thing to try to explain to them how it's so kind of ingrained into the American ethos, right, to own guns, to shoot guns. So gun violence as being, like, this thing um, that is satirized is really handled well in the hands of a European man who's kind of like, I'm going to make a Jesus story and I'm going to make a satire on Reagan's America, because that's really what this is, 87, Reagan's America. I'm going to make a satire on this, but I'm just going to throw it in your face. Like, this is who you guys are, right? Like, that's kind of how I take it. Like, he's obviously exact. 
like kind of like intensifying it and, and making it more extreme. But he's like, this is who you are. Like military, private corporations, greed, uh, fucking drugs and uh, hedonism, crime, violence, guns, crazy cops. Out of and control. you're all like, just acting like it's okay. You know, and yeah, like, oh, and yeah, this is our world. That's right, because you have a nice car or because you guys have, like, nice toys and you can own a home or whatever. He's like, but that's that's who you are. And it's like, like, here you go. And that's why it's such a great satire because it's almost like I'm not even going to make a serious critique. I'm just going to poke fun at you and I'm just going to make fun <laughs> at you so that you can laugh at how stupid you guys look. And that's why it's really interesting. So is there an answer? I don't think there's an answer because I think you're, the, the second point you made was absolutely right. That, like, when things are so fucked up, do you have like a sit-down program that you can offer as an alternative? Or do you just say, we just got to mock the shit out of you so that you can like kind of – it's a very postmodern kind of there is no answer. It's kind of just a let's just kind of throw a grenade in there and kind of blow things up. And it's I think that's kind of what he's doing. for sure. Yeah. 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 So Ryan just asked the question that – or he posed that Verhoeven is asking the question, do you want to live in that? And But I think – to take that a step further, it's more like you do want to live in that, you sick fuck, don't you? Yeah, that, that, yeah. <laughs> that's that's the tone that I get yeah. when I see those uh, that commercial for uh, the battleship like game called Nukem <laughs> by the by the Butler Brothers. And yeah, it's it, it's it's feels a lot like would you like to know more about Starship Troopers? Because in that one, he's like, of course you do. Who yeah. wouldn't? You know, and in this one, he's like, <laughs> it's, "You want to? Do you want to live in that?" You yeah, do. It's the game. It's the gamification of the crazy militaristic mentality. It's like, "Fuck yeah!" It's exciting and it's cool, and you can be the hero and you can be the destroyer or whatever. And yeah, it, it, that's exactly right. And in a way, I guess then what you could say is, he's not then saying, "Do you want to live in this?" He's already saying, "You already do live in this." You know? Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah. Mom, your, 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 your troops are moving into Pakistan. What am I going to do? Nuka. Yeah. Yeah. What do you guys think about, I guess this is kind of more to the same point about just the the news indicates to us that we're living in a very war-torn world where there's constantly violence going on. I mean, I think this is probably just exaggerated versions of our own world. Oh, yeah. Totally. And this is before... Iraq one, and this is before obviously Iraq two, um, and then invasion of Afghanistan and shit like that. So this is a very prescient film in a lot of ways. Not to say that there weren't global conflicts going on in the eighties, of course there were, but the scale at which they're pitched was very sort of um, kind of predictive. And I think it was because he's basically saying, "Hey, if you live by the sword, then you die by the sword. If you live by this militaristic mentality, this is the only." the logical outcome, you know? And so the, on the news, they're talking about World War World War Three and shit like that. And even though it hasn't coalesced in the sense that we kind of understood World Wars One and Two, um, there's a sense in which we're living in a state of permanent war where private corporations are, you know, benefiting immensely from these wars. And the fact that Verhoeven was able to kind of satirize that as though this was some sort of future world in the 90s is kind of amazing, right? Because isn't, isn't this supposed to be yeah. set in the late 90s? It's kind of amazing that he had such a, a prescient vision, I think. I uh, uh, Yeah, totally. And uh, I, I think... On that note, that that the, the one of the most prescient lines in the film is said by that crazy homeless guy, or not home, unemployed guy on the news yes. when he's like, it's, "We're living in the land of the free man. There's no guarantees. It's just the law <laughs> of the jungle, dude." <laughs> you know, like, oh, yeah. or it's just like, okay, I guess that that's how the everyman thinks of what the you know. It's like, hey, it's just the law of the jungle out here. What are you gonna do? <laughs> You know? Yeah, it's kind of reduced to that Hobbesian state of nature that life is nasty, short, and brutish. And um, when you don't have, and maybe there's a way you could say, again, as a European, uh, someone who would kind of be comfortable with a nice welfare state when you don't have, especially in the 80s, right? When you don't have some sort of like centralized um, institution to kind of keep cohesion, when that kind of disintegrates and you just put everything over to private corporations who are just out for their own uh, benefit and um, and things like that, then what ends up happening is, is that you do end up getting this degraded form of society where uh, 
where there is no control, there's no order, where it's just kind of chaos. And then that's why you need the police, right? And the police then are supposed to go in and restore the order, but the police are, are they serve private interests as well, right? And so they're, they're all conflicted. humans. Yeah, yeah, they're conflicted. But then, of course, you have the crime, so there's a conflict of interest because the crime lord, um, Kurtwood Smith, is that who plays the main boss? He is, yeah, yeah, red. It's half, uh, the, it's half the cast of Twin Peaks. Yeah. <laughs> it, it is, yeah. So, and then he he's also funded by the same private people, right? But it's just like, but then again, the creation kind of gets... Uh, out of your control, which is a very sort of Frankenstein-y theme again. Like, even the crime syndicate is out of the control of the man who's trying to orchestrate it, right? Um, so everything is kind of out of humanity's control when you try to tinker with things. Um, but yeah, it's kind of interesting. Speaking of uh, Twin Peaks, if I could just take a second to ask Ryan, how are you doing? <laughs> don't, t- don't take a second to ask how far I am into Twin Peaks season two in the middle of our podcast. Season three. Season three. Hey, you brought it Moving up. Moving on. <laughs> <laughs> uh. Do you guys think that in all Paul Verhoeven movies, when the viol- the violence is supposed to be, like when it's over the top, that it's supposed to be for a satirical purpose oh it's absolutely for emphasis it's totally about you know in every other action movie even in like john wick or something you know you you, like people are just dead you know in five seconds it's over whereas he he you wash in it you absorb it you're bathing in it just to be he wants you to say like every life like this is what you are fucking you know uh laughing at or enjoying this is your entertainment uh, but but this is how brutal it fucking is, you know, and this is the suffering. And so he'll show that extra 50 blood swabs just to get that right in your face. And I love him for it. He's a fetishist, man. Watch Showgirls, too. Like, even the oh, sex in Showgirls, it's so over the top that it's not even horny anymore. Like, it's not <laughs> like you watch it and you're like, like, for a moment, you're a little bit turned on. And then all of a sudden you're like, this, like when Elizabeth Berkeley is in the swimming pool and she's fucking freaking oh, out yeah. and, like, flopping like around like a tornado. Like a, yeah. Yeah. You're like, that's not even sexy anymore. That's just, like, over-the-top hedonism. So I think he's just – he loves to push what we think we want, like, the desires. And he's like, I'm going to fucking give it to you up to 11 to use Spinal Tap, right? And then when, when you do that, you're kind of like, <laughs> okay, this is ridiculous. It's not sexy anymore, and it's not scary anymore with violence. Like, when Murphy's hand gets blown off, like, it's fucking, like, it's like a geyser. Oh, I, I yeah. li- And it, <laughs> yeah. it, it looks like that, that's not a human hand. Like, that's clearly <laughs> the most fake fucking prosthetic. And it's just gushing with liquid. And you're like, that is not what would happen. But it's... It's kind of funny and ridiculous, and I think that's kind of on purpose. I, I dig it. Did uh, Rick Baker work on this film? I don't remember. I think I feel like I'd remember that. I don't believe so. Yeah, maybe not. But I mean, the the makeup effects are amazing. Obviously, Stephen. Yeah. Oh wait, no, no, never mind. Yeah, yeah, yeah. The makeup. You know, I was gonna look bias. that up too. I actually thought about that. I was gonna look up who did the practical effects, and then I didn't. So if there's if there's someone in the live feed or something like that, let us know. I was going to say one thing about the kind of the cop issue that's so interesting is there is an angle uh, to kind of like address like obviously with certain concerns and things like that. But in this film, there is an angle of critique that comes more from a left perspective that says, well, the police essentially were formed to protect property relations, right? They protect they're, – they're enforcing laws. Laws kind of emerge out of property law um, and other things like that so that there's a sense in which police officers are there to enforce like certain – power structures that already exist pertaining to property property relations or what's sometimes referred to as bourgeois property relations, right? So there's a sense in which the police itself is already constituted under the influence of private corporations. So then that's the question, right, is, is if we take that and we take that in the landscape of RoboCop, you have something similar there. It's just um, – it's just not subtle. It's like, no, you're actually owned by a private corporation, right? A particular private corporation. And then the question is, is can humanity like overcome that? Can you have a good cop? Can you have unions that go on strike because they don't like the conditions uh, where they're in? And can you have some semblance of the human that transcends outside of these external pressures of private influence and, and corruption and stuff like that? And can humanity, is there something pure about the human that can transcend? And I think for Verhoeven, he thinks, I think maybe, maybe in his like kind of cynical way, I think he thinks yes. 
that there is something about the human. There's something about the human that has love, that has compassion, that has connection, that attaches to family, that is selfless. I think he does think that there is something about the human. The question is, is does that humanity, um, does it ever get to breathe? Does it ever get to live, right? Or is it kind of trapped within that symbiosis between the the other elements the structural and institutional elements and then the quote unquote natural I don't I don't I don't think he answers it but I think that maybe he does hint at that what do you guys think I wanted to talk more uh, about like you know you're describing the his fourth directive that any attempt to arrest an officer the OCP will result in a system shutdown um, I what I love the most about this is that it's kept a secret that not even he knows. Not even RoboCop knows what his fourth directive is until somebody tells him. And I think that that's kind of like almost like a systemic issue literalized in a sense because, you know, in a sense, the cops aren't even aware that their conditions are dictated to them by uh, interests that are alien to what they think they're trying to do. Mm. Mm. Totally. Yeah, yeah. I, now, I forget, yeah. what's what's the, how does he actually overcome it? Oh, it's because the guy gets fired. Because he gets fired. <laughs> yeah. And, and, and more to that, I was almost wishing at some point that it was more like something about his humanity allowed him to overcome his yeah, programming. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, but it's it's such a funny, it's such a funny moment that I, it's hard for me to say that I wish they did it otherwise. And that he, that's what he's programmed to do. And that would be the cheesy way out that the American filmmaker would make, right? That, oh, humanity overcomes the struggle between men and technology and, oh, the human spirit. But fucking the European pessimism, they're like, no, it's just the guy's still programmed. Uh, he's still working within his program. It's, it's much more of like an integrated. I actually think that's it works really well within the context of the film. But I totally get you. I totally get you. You do, you do think that, that like, oh, is the humanity going to somehow emerge that one day he's going to wake up and he's be like, I. I am Murphy. Ah, I sense myself or some shit like that. But he's not a Batman certainly, figure, right? Yeah, it, w- it would certainly make the movie less grim because yeah. right now nothing gets fixed. I mean, he still has that fourth directive programmed in him. He's still, uh, you know, c- protecting the interests of of the corporations. Yeah. Uh, but you know, the, if but he, the programmers have been killed, the ones that told him to do that. Yeah. I mean, I guess we can assume... Well, I don't know. In RoboCop 2, does he still have that directive? I, I haven't seen RoboCop 2 maybe forever. ever. Uh, it's not yeah. that good, but I uh, I don't remember, honestly. Apparently, apparently they're making um, a sequel, like an actual sequel to the original RoboCop. That's what the screenwriter said in like 2018. So I don't know if it's going to go forward, but it's not going to have anything to do with the 2014 remake. It's going to be a direct or the, sequel. Or the uh, old sequels? Or the, the old sequels. No, it's going to be a direct sequel to the 87 RoboCop. I don't know if it's still going forward, but I know that it's in the works. That would be interesting to see if they kind of keep keep the satire, keep the world of the 87 RoboCop. And then what happens to Murphy? Like, what do you think happens to Murphy the day after? Like, what does he do now after he kills ED? And what does he do now? I think he turns into a good RoboCop. You know, you got some bad RoboCops and good RoboCops. He's going to become a good RoboCop. <laughs> but, like, does on. he become, like, a fig? Like, is he, like, a Batman figure where, like, the, the, the crime bosses fear him around the city and then the, 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 the journalists, they hail him as, like, a hero. And then there's the debates about vigilantism versus the institution. Like, is that where the story goes? I think he probably just upholds the status quo. That's what I would guess. Um, because... You know, you mentioned earlier that Verhoeven has said in interviews that this is like the American Jesus film or that RoboCop is an American Jesus figure. And part of me also thinks that he's kind of saying like in his kind of satirical wink, wink way that, yeah, you guys like this is this is your savior. You know, fourth directive and all. (laughs) This is what you guys love, Mm. you know. And deserve. (laughs) Yeah, love and deserve, exactly. So it makes sense that by the end of the movie, nothing has really changed, that he's probably still there to preserve the status quo, that his humanity has not taken over and allowed him to go rogue and go bypass his programming. Jared, it was you that said that, like, Starship Troopers, was it, did we talk about how, like, you could watch this and then, or maybe it was Alec even in, in, uh, uh, that in like the writers' room that we're talking about this, but um, that like 
you can watch Starship Troopers and not get the satire at all? Was that you, Jerry? Oh, yeah, totally. Yeah, that was me. That was you. Yeah. Like, do you think, I mean, yeah. obviously with, with I still Robo- maintain that, and a lot of people have given me shit for that. Well, what about RoboCop? Because you know, how could you not know? A hundred percent. Yeah. I mean, the only things that the only things that I think are really in your face are some of those television commercials. Uh, you know, th- that's when it's like really in your face that it's a satire. But other than that, I mean, I, I feel like for, you know, most of my 32 years of living, I probably would have not met, not seen the sat- satirical elements. Are, are you talking about Starship or RoboCop in this instance? RoboCop. Okay, yeah. To, to, to me, the, the scene that really uh, makes it go front and center as a satire is the first boardroom scene when the ED-209 you know, just fillets that guy in front of everybody. And then, yeah. <laughs> and then immediately the two bosses are like, well, damn it, we're going to lose $20 million uh, this year. Like, what the fuck? And it's like, it's that tone of just two, you know, of a guy bloodied in the background while they're fucking talking about, you know, the, uh, all the money they're going to lose in, in contracts. Like to me, that's where I go, okay, this is a hundred percent satire. He's making a big point here. And what does it say? You know, and here we are talking about it. But um, but but I also can see. I think that it's one of those things where when this movie came out and you're ten years old and you watch it, you clearly right. don't get that shit. You see a robot right. cop and you're like badass, and then you play <laughs> yeah. with the toys of it, and that's exactly. it. And then reality becomes the movie where you're just like, oh, badass, a RoboCop, yeah, you know. Yeah. And, <laughs> and then and then you see the over the top violence of the ED robot, and you're just like, oh yeah, Fuck man, yeah. violence. That, that's that's just like. Double your awesome. <laughs> <laughs> do you think? Do you think it defeats? Like, do you need to have effective satire that that can't be mistaken for just being kind of cool and enjoyable? Do you need it to have the hook where you're like, "Hey, clearly this is social critique." Do you no, know what I mean, I mean, I it, 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 it all depends on your, pre, your your preference and your sophistication maybe i don't know how you'd put it but like like i i like it when it's blurry man i like it when it's muddy and i have to fuck it and go what is he fucking telling me right now what does he believe what do the people that wrote this believe you know or is it just out there i love that there's also something about how your satire kind of performs its own point if people don't get it because even if you're watching starship troopers or you're watching robocop if you don't get it then the satire is just all the more delicious you know right in that because you're like ending the movie going fuck yeah robocop he's my savior or <laughs> yeah. you know you fuck fuck yeah i want to learn more i want to go i want to uh live in that society where they just you know kill these aliens indiscriminately uh either way i think that if it doesn't if it if the message doesn't come through it almost makes the message just all the more meaningful totally mm. I, th- I think fight club has that that quality too to it yeah is yeah, there totally. is there like a weird perversion then that Verhoeven might even have with like contributing? Like imagine imagine a sea of seven to ten year old kids playing with little RoboCop action figures, and they're <laughs> like they're like fuck I yeah, think I had one, and then I I think I did too. <laughs> I think I did too. And then like Verhoeven, this like European guy from the outside, is kind of like going ah ha ha ha. See, you are He's fucked just laughing up. To yeah, yeah, yes, exactly. yeah. Like how <laughs> fucked up is that? <laughs> <laughs> it's awesome. It's I, it is kind of awesome. It just makes him pretty cool. <laughs> yeah, yeah, and 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 I think that precisely goes back to to that question that Ryan asked. That I don't think there's an answer in this film. I don't. I think I think you're to left. the cop problem. Yeah, to the cop problem, to good versus bad, to humanity and and technology. I don't really think there's an easy answer for any of it, you know? I I read that, like, he was unsure about directing the film, and then his wife read it and was like, actually, this is a Frankenstein film. And he didn't get the undertones of that element when he first read the script. And then I think in his direction, he kind of shifted it more in that in in that in that lane of it being a real Frankenstein film um a humanity and uh messing with nature kind of thing and yeah. i think that that's mm. what that's what makes the film have legs right i think is is that right. kind of like m- messiness that you get that it's told um but i think that's what's really interesting about this film is is you are left with kind of like what what do you do like do you stop 
modifying nature? Do you stop building cool technologies? Do you stop building cities? Do you stop like what do you do? like? Where did the science stop inventing things just because it's going to be used for nefarious purposes? Like what the fuck do you do? You know, I, I honestly on that point, I, I do think that there's that almost is part of his message or or the world he's built, like where everybody in this world exists and is a human being which is a big part of the movie and has their own interests at heart and but it create it, it, uh so, so you know e- even the cops who are all kind of like look what the f- like 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 we're all we're, we're dying over here you know we're not getting our overtime pay we're gonna strike you know what i mean and then you got the cop cheap being like well what the fuck are you? you're not supposed to do that you know we're not a bunch of plumbers and then you have the people and the politicians and the business guys that are all kind of serving their own self-interest, which is just life, you know. And so I think that he's kind of painting, you know, w- when you get into the systemic issues and stuff, I think that Paul Her- Verhoeven's quick to remind you, you know, that we're all – like no matter what person you single out, they're a fucking human being at the end of the day with flaws mm. and all, warts and all, selfish, you know, people are – obviously selfish and self-interested mm. and that everyone has their own stake and is playing their own game in this and that no matter what people are kind of fucked so we got to all live together at the end of the day i don't think he says that explicitly but that's kind of i, yeah. I don't know my implication from it where it's like everyone here is human let's deal with that first you know yeah that's why i'd really want to see his his non-american films because i wonder if he's as pessimistic about european culture right like, or is he just kind of like America and the American hegemon in Starship Troopers? Because basically the like new global empire in Starship Troopers is just America intensified on a global scale, right? So I wonder if Although he's like... interestingly, doesn't it take place in like... Buenos Aires and America, shit like that. Yeah, Buenos yeah. Aires, yeah, 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 yeah. Yeah, but it's kind of still all the American military. It's everyone speaking with an American accent, right? Like... Yes, So yes. it's... I, I wonder... It's Beverly Hills 90210. Exactly. And, and so is he saying there's something fucked up with the American empire? It's media, it's military, it's private corporations... It's focus on individualism, stuff like that. Like, I wonder if that, and it's a, and it's coming from a kind of European, more community. Yeah, go ahead, Ryan. What do you think? I think I think Starship Troopers is more about the system in uh, being inherently like, like, because everyone there in the movie is is so gung ho for for what they've been told their whole. It's more about the military industrial complex, quote unquote, you know, and just how like that breeds a uh, culture. Whereas this, you see people that are don't, you know, aren't on board. Like, like it's more of a mess. Society is more of a, even though there's bugs, you know, killing everyone in the thousands by Starship Troopers, it's more like society is more dirty or it's just kind of more of a, nor- it looks normal, but it's also futuristic, but uh, I don't know, it's more of a shithole. And so I, I th- and, and people realize that in the film, except for the news people who portray it, life as just like, oh, this is just everyday life. So I think there's, Right, both of those kind of things going on in this movie, but to me, Starship Troopers is more about just critiquing, like, you know, like we were saying, the military-industrial complex. I mean, before the second act of RoboCop starts, when the when RoboCop starts having these dreams and starts recognizing himself as a human being, I mean, I thought of this movie as simply just a critique of the system because we have the I don't know the actor's real name, but the Twin Peaks guy. Um, He's like almost the main character throughout that whole first act. The guy who is trying to climb to the top of the corporation by mm, mm. Uh, allowing for, um, you know, the RoboCop system to be initiated within the Detroit Police Department. Yeah, there's definitely the system being critiqued for sure. I, I didn't mean to imply that, but 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 it, I don't know. It just seems like the it, it, I feel like Starship Troopers is leaving a heavier satire in that regard. And just mm. that yeah. people's behavior. Mm. I can see that. The thing that I think is so interesting too is you guys were talking about how uh, the news with like that that Nukem game and stuff like that. Uh, I love how there are everything is sponsored, right? Everything has oh, yeah. like a corporate mm-hmm. sponsor, and so like even the guy that's talking about like heart surgery and shit like that, he's like, oh, he's talking about this new model and he's trying to make it all sexy and cool. You can tell. And then at the very end, mm-hmm. what does he say? He's like, he's trying to sell you on something, sell you, sell you, sell you. He's like, remember, we care for you. And it's such a good <laughs> it's such a good analysis of how advertising works. It's like we're gonna sell you this product because we actually care about you. Now buy our shit. Buy our shit. And it's a way of selling how 
happiness or like uh, like libidinally seducing us into wanting it because it's like oh I can be fulfilled and I can get connection and empathy or whatever else and I think that's that's kind of really important too because that's what's cut in and out of those news things all the time is that they are advertisements that that there's always this like corporate brand that is behind everything and if you have a society that is just branded like the whole society is run by brands and intellectual property and patents and um, all these levers that are behind the scene then this is what you end up getting you get people who want to play a violent military game you get people who are invested like libidinally invested into these things and I think that's something else that Verhoeven's got I think he's he's obsessed with sex in a lot of ways too because you have that dude on TV that's like got those two the two women two and girls yeah and he's like horny all the time there's like there's always an enjoyment in what Verhoeven is doing like a sexual enjoyment in everything you know yeah totally god what a badass for real What's your fa- right. what's your favorite uh, Paul Verhoeven, real quick, Jared? Um, you know, Total I'm really recall, not Basic Instinct. You know, we got Starship Troopers. I would say I probably like this movie a little bit more than I like Starship Troopers, so I might even say RoboCop. Wow. What about you? Fuck yeah, I'm probably gonna go Starship Troopers one, RoboCop two, then probably Showgirls and Basic Instinct uh, after that. Okay. Yeah. yeah not no love for Total uh, Total t- Recall. T- Total Recall. I love Total Recall. Oh, I, I like Total Recall. Yeah, probably five. But yes, I feel like I feel like for me, that's a remake I did see. The one with Colin Farrell. Was it good? One. Yeah, the one with Colin Farrell. No, it wasn't. Okay, I didn't think it was. I didn't. I, I chose not to see it because I knew it wouldn't be good. Like for me, Verhoeven. I haven't seen obviously any of the the previous films before he came to Hollywood. So for me, it's it's all the ones we just mentioned. I feel like RoboCop is kinda in a class for me. Kinda in a class by itself. There's just something so unique about it. But then. But then in the rest of that top five that you just mentioned, The Basic Instinct, The Total Recall, The Starship Troopers, Showgirls, they all kind of are tied for second. And I mean that in a good way. Like, I, I, I think I enjoy – it's hard for me just – like, I really enjoy them all and it's really just my mood. I think that Showgirls totally gets misunderstood. I think it totally gets misunderstood. I, I got to watch it because I've never seen it. Oh, my it, God, Jared. Bro. I can't wait for you to watch oh that Oh, my movie. God. <laughs> Holy shit. I've heard things, man. <laughs> you got to see it. We got to do a, a fucking movie on uh, We got to do it. That. We got to just keep oh, the God. Verhoeven train going on this podcast because it is insane, dude. Yeah. D- dude, if, okay. Uh, okay. Austin, have you Sold. seen Ellie? Which one? Have you seen Ellie? No, that's movie. that's the latest one. So here's the thing: everyone told me that it's brilliant, and I just fucking forgot to see it. I hear it's amazing. Yeah, it's 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 intense. It's uh, it's something. I know. Else. Like, Isn't that like like uh, Isabel like, Huppert, right? Or how how do you oh, say her name? I think it's it's just L. Oh, L. L. Sorry, but I know E-L-L-E. I know what you're talking yeah, yeah. about. Yeah, I've I've seen that movie. Yeah, what'd you think, Jared? Thumbs up. Yeah. I liked it. I liked yeah. it a lot. I mean, it's it's fucked up. Yeah, but I liked that's it. pretty much what I was. That's the word I was trying to find earlier. Yeah, fucked up. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> yeah. Um. All right. Anything else you guys want to bring up before we go into the mailbag? I just I just wish I just wish that we that more people made movies like this. You know. Me too. Like I know. I, I don't know what it is. I guess that I heard that he watched a shitload of Rambo films to, like, get the pacing down for the American action flick because that wasn't really, like, his <laughs> shtick before this, right? So, like, there's something about the 80s and maybe, let's say, early 90s action films that I really – they're so unique. And we can look at them as being, like, stupid stunt films or something like that. There's something really potent in them, you know? Like, for some reason, even when I think of Stallone, I think of a film like Cliffhanger, which is not, like, his best film. But I fucking love that movie, yeah, movie right? Yeah, Right? There's there's just something about mm. even the, like, middle-tier action films that is awesome. We watched a film the other day with fucking Pierce Brosnan. It was some direct-to-TV film. It was before he got cast in Bond. It was the same year that he made Mrs. Doubtfire. I can't remember what it's called. But it's Pierce Brosnan as a military dude, a part of some, like, transnational. It was made in, like, the early 90s, so after the fall of the Berlin Wall. So it's, like, you got a team of, like, Soviets and Germans and English and all these different people coming together. Um, and then, of course, they have to stop this runaway train. It's, like, this train that has a bomb on it or some shit like that. And it's not a good movie, but it's so fucking enjoyable at the same time. <laughs> are you I, looking? Honestly, are you looking? I, I, yeah. I'm trying to look for an IMDb, but uh, on... Uh, when you were saying like no one really makes movies these days, uh, I agree. Who would you say if you, if anybody is like the Paul Verhoeven of now? Who could make these kind of very biting satires? I'm trying to my 
rack my brain on anybody. I mean, but I haven't seen I haven't seen Jojo Rabbit, but I mean, you could see you, Taika. Yeah, Taika. What? Yeah. I yeah, him or James Gunn. Maybe I could see something. Yeah. But yeah. What's James Gunn? People. What's he's he's working on something next that's going to be really Suicide good. Squad too. That's right. That's right. I that's think right. you're thinking of the Detonator. Squad. <laughs> Is it yeah, Detonator? Detonator. Yeah, Pierce Brosnan, '93, Train with Hostage in Berlin. That's the one. Germany. All right, I'm gonna so like my list. Like, like even that, it's it's like it's silly, but there's something about those friggin' action films, and so many of them were made, and so many of them do not get the love because they're not prestige pieces, and I don't know, they don't have like special effects, and they're kind of like chintzy made. But I fucking love those things, you know. I mean, do you think like just in terms of action films? The Mission Impossible films might be still in oh, that spirit, so right? Good. They're still yeah, in that really, spirit because yeah. they they do their own stunts. They use a lot of practical effects and things like that. Like that's kind of – that's maybe the closest we get rather than everything being all CGI'd out, you know? Well, wait. Are you talking about now just in terms of action directors? Yeah, now just action. I don't yeah. I don't see Christopher McQuarrie as really a satirist, you know? No, no, yeah, yeah. Now the just the action. director no, 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 no. of Mission no, no. Impossible. Okay. No, no, just just action films yeah. now. Like like even like the Bond films lately, like some of them kind of moved they they were some of them are really good and some of them I think kind of get away from it. Like I feel like like even our action films cuz they're so CGI heavy that we just miss out on a lot of the kind of old badassery of blowing up miniatures and or blowing up it's, real buildings. Like whoa. Christopher Nolan, didn't he like buy a plane so he could blow it up and tenant? it? Like isn't that like <laughs> Yeah. Oh, that's awesome. Luckily, we have the. Ra- they did the, the same thing for the Dark Knight Rises, but yeah, the Raid guys and the John Wick guys are are our yeah, sa- yes. our saviors these days. Yeah, it kills me that the for Rage action. Three is not currently being worked on. I know. What in the fucking hell, dude? They need to- <laughs> it. Should be Raid Three and <laughs> they space. need to get on that. I know. Uh, all right. Let's go into the voicemails. We got one from Chris, but before we play that, if you guys want to send us a voicemail, it's 213-534-8807 or 21ElfHut07, where the elves party. Let's hear one from Chris. Hey, Wisecrack. It's Chris here. Just got done to listen to your Prestige uh, podcast, and I have two quick questions. One, was Borden expired by the man with the fishbowl? Because they were able to deduce pretty quickly that that man pretty much lives his life as a cripple in order to hide that fishbowl under there you know they figured it out the general audience doesn't know is that what borden was expired inspired by in order to do his trick with his twin brother like understanding that magic to keep the illusion is a lifestyle and then the other one's also about borden it's only because i'm kind of a softy and was always really confused by this at the end but when after um borden kills engineer and goes to pick up you know what we perceive to be as his daughter is that actually the girl's father, or is it her uncle? Which brother died and which one got to live? Because it'd be even more messed up if the father had to die, which is why, you know, she went to see him in jail, and that was his, like, final goodbye to her, you know, in order to maintain the illusion. Um, yeah, it's just, it's crazy. I've always loved the prestige, and you guys did a great job talking about it. Thanks, bye. All right, thanks, Chris. As far as the second question, I always took it as it was the father that died. Mm. Is, is that mm. what you guys thought? That's, that's my take, too. Yeah, I yeah. thought so too because that bit when when um when Borden's in jail and he's saying like to take care of her like there there's real panic and but then the question is this is is there a real distinction between him and his brother like have they become so mm. the same that between uncle and father there's almost like he still loves her I don't know like maybe we're not supposed to know yeah. the answer but you're right I, I I did too I always took it as the father but I don't know if it's that clearly cut. And as far as the first question, I always assumed that Borden was doing this probably from a much earlier age, that he's been doing the switcheroo game from even before. And I think it was his dedication that tipped him off into understanding that the fishbowl mm. guy was just pretending to be disabled. At least that's how I took it. I like it. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, me too. All right, I want to go into our emails. Uh, I actually just want to hit one from Fernando. You can hit us up at movies at wisecrack.co. This is from Fernando. He wanted, he's also wants to talk about The Prestige. He says, I think something worth mentioning about this movie is the class struggle slash conflict. Borden slash Fallon is the everyman. All they have is their work and their bodies. Magic is the ticket out of poverty, and they pour everything into that. 
his tricks are technically simple and easy to duplicate as long as you're able to go through the same psychological and physical struggles they do. Their biggest official trick is based on their bodies, as in the unofficial trick, which is their biggest one, where the, phys- where the physically has to suffer via maiming and their entire family has to psychologically suffer as well. By dropping the act, they stand to lose not their work, but their lives. And Jir is the rich man. Magic for wh- him is a way to aggrandize himself, maybe to escape the shadow of his family's wealth and power, but his livelihood and his life do not depend on it. So much so, by the end of the movie, he quits once he has to achieve this goal and retires to his family's estate. His tricks are complicated and rely heavily on gadgets, most of which he has to buy or has assistance make instead of developing himself. As a rich man, he also has the means to influence and even destroy other people's lives. You guys joked about Elon Musk, which could be a good parallel to him. So, uh... This is something that was like very subtly in the background of the movie that I hadn't really glommed onto, but I think that Fernando is right. Because, I mean, uh, you know, as far as Angier kind of settling down to his estate toward the end of the movie, I always just assumed that he used the duplicator to duplicate money and be super rich. But there was there were some hints that, you know, he's got more means than Borden through, like Fernando mentioned, through the tricks that he has that are very uh, mechanically oriented and he's able to hire Michael Caine um, and he's just generally dressed better throughout the movie and the name the great Danton is kind of very aristocratic right and doesn't he kind of even say that to his wife at one point and she's like no it's like dignified or whatever she says and so he uses that but there's something that there's like a connection like maybe they're like rebels like rebelling from the wealthy past or, or something along those lines but I think I think Fernando's absolutely right is um, self-aggrandizing is probably a good term. As we talked about this, is that's what he wants. He just wants the applause. He wants fame, adulation, affirmation, all that that comes with it. Whereas for Borden, it's the purity of the craft. Right? He's a craftsman, and I think that's the the, the difference. You know, he works hard because it's about grit, it's about effort, and it's about becoming the best through your effort. And uh, rather than having stuff given to you just so you can kind of just take the easier road. Yeah. Totally. All right, well, I think we're going to wrap it up. But before we go, and you know what? Next week, or in two weeks, fuck it. Let's keep this Verhoeven train running, man. Dude, showgirls? Yeah, let's do it. Oh, shit. Okay, Everybody join me and watch showgirls. Um, But before we leave, uh, where can we find you guys on the internet? Austin. Yeah, you can hit me up on Twitter, Austin underscore Hayden. Uh, I'm on Insta, A-U-S underscore H-A-Y. I do a philosophy podcast called Owls at Dawn. I've got a YouTube channel where I upload videos, me talking about anything from reading through the Bible to political commentary, etc., etc. So I'm kind of all over. And Ryan. Uh, Twitter, at Ryan's Game Show. And then on YouTube, uh, Ryan's Game Show and Ryan Shorts. Every once in a while, baby. It's quarantine even more. And Showgirls in two weeks here on this channel. Hell yeah. Rock and roll, guys. All right, we will see you in two weeks. Until next time, take us out, Ryan. Goodbye from Memphis, Tennessee. (laughs) Peace. (laughs)